Before I get into the Bible study tonight, I don't know how many of you were able to watch the inauguration today. Um, I, I, I imagine, uh, I have this on no personal authority, but I imagine there might have been a lot of conservatives, a lot of people who just decided not to watch it because they're anti anything but President Trump. Um, and I would say that's too bad. That um, because it was a, I may not agree. I, you know, I have, I have a family member who is about as uh, left-wing liberal crazy as any human being I've ever met, and is, she's always trying to bait me into an argument here or something there. Anybody have a family member like that? No, me, I'm the only one. Okay, <laughs> lucky me. <laughs> And, uh, you know, last few days she's been uh, telling me about in text, you know, it's the greatest day for our planet and the greatest day for America and so forth and so on. And uh, she said that she was watching the inauguration and I said that, uh, uh, that I was watching it as well and that I was praying, this is how I put it, I said, I'm praying for President Trump and I'm praying for former presidents, President Trump, I'm sorry, I'm praying for President Biden and I'm praying for President Trump's family as they go through this transition. And that's what I sent. And, um, um, and, and she, you know, I don't, don't think she really knew quite how to respond to that because um, I recognized where we are. But I also recognize what we've had for the last four years, right? Uh, and anybody who thinks that just because this is... I, 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 forgive me if you're one of these folks... Any of you that are here, or if you're out there, that still believe somehow President Trump is still president, um, maybe in four years, maybe, but he, he is not. I mean, this, just, this has happened. We have a new president. We are to respect the office of the president. And uh, I'm not saying that anything, you know, I'm saying the inauguration was good. <laughs> I'm not saying that the, any of the decisions that he made in his first hour were good. I'm not saying any of that, but... It was a very patriotic moment, regardless of where you stand on your political platform. Uh, was, was I happy that Lady Gaga <laughs> sang the national anthem? But I'll tell you what, she did such a beautiful job. I came to my feet in my office in tears at the position of military attention with my hand on my heart. Because I'm an American, and I'm a patriot, and I'm a child of God. Amen? Amen? And so there's no need to say, well, you know, to throw your patriotism, patriotism under the bus because you don't agree with who's now in the office. We're instructed to pray for those that are in government positions. Pray for the leaders of our country. It's not about uh, pray for them if you agree with them. Pray for them if you voted for them. No, 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 no. No, I can't remember who it was. I think it was... President Bush, uh, George W. Bush, left a, no, it would have been George H.W., was he the father, Bush? Yeah. Uh, and he left a note on Clinton's desk when, and said, uh, wishing him well, and said, uh, your success is America's success. And in many respects, that's very, very true. So we can, we can pray for our president's demise and failure, but you've got to realize that, to a degree, his success is America's success. I'm not talking about the, the, the platforms. 
All right, you all knew I had to make a statement tonight. Okay, I'm hoping that patriotism will rise above uh, party lines. I'm hoping that Americana and patriotism will rise above your platform. And those who may have said, well, I ain't watching. That's because you're angry and you're self-centered and you need to repent. Did he just say that? Yes, I did. Do I agree with the platform? You all know better. I've preached about it, right? Do I agree with the party line? You all know better. I've preached. You know that I don't agree with it. But as an American, I'm going to stand uh, with my president. I'm not going to be like my family member who in 2016 you know, stood in lines with others saying, he's not my president, he's not my president, he's not my president. Um, you know, so it's a sad day, but uh, it was an amazingly beautiful inauguration. I believe it was a historical inauguration, and um, God bless America. Thank you for your enthusiasm, Mr. and Mrs. Patriot. Hmm, maybe I should address the conspiracy theorists. You'd be happier if I talked more about that. I've gotten really kind of punchy in the last couple minutes. Okay, well, you want me to get to my notes? Well, you knew I had to make a statement about today. It was an amazing experience uh, in my estimation. I thought the speech was beautiful. Um, he made a powerful statement. He made many powerful statements, but one that stuck with my heart and my spirit was um, it's time to, how do you put it? It's time to, let's not have an uncivil war. Because a lot of people have been talking about, we're on the verge of civil war. Civil war's coming. Let's not have an uncivil war. What's that saying? We can still have a war. It's just not going to be an uncivil war. Okay? I feel so impressed to do this. Listen, it's not Christian-like for any one of us to look at any other part of God's creation and speak negatively and talk negatively about them and to call them names and 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 so forth and so on. Don't do it, y'all. Give honor where honor is due and respect where respect is due and be an American patriot. I didn't say be a Michigan militia person. That's you. God bless you for where you stand on that and, and, uh, and may all your guns work when you need them to work or whatever. But, <laughs> but anyway, that's where your pastor is standing with it and um, so I'm going to be praying for President Biden. Uh, although God did not place him uh, in that position, I still believe with all my heart that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and, the God, and God can turn that heart any way he wishes, just as he turns the rivers of water, the Bible says. And so I'm not saying he's God's man. I didn't say that. But he is our president, Okay. And so let's, let's trust in God and not in President Biden or former President Trump. Let's trust in God and not the left wing or the right wing. Let's trust in God and not the liberal party or the conservative party. Let's trust in God and be the people of God that show what real love looks like. Okay? Not even on my agenda to talk about that tonight, but you know what? Jesus came along... I talked with you all on Sunday about 
how Jesus could not have been further removed from law-like, old-time religious behavior than any other person that walked on planet Earth. In fact, he came at one point when a lawyer asked him a question, what is the greatest law and he, or the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is these. He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second is just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, but you need to understand that he did away with that. Because he said a little bit later, but I give you a new command. And here it is. To love your neighbor as I have loved you. You see, the first commandment based on the commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. We know that lasts forever. And it was to love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus says, no, I want you to love your neighbor as I have loved you, which is different than the former. So maybe, maybe there's even some in this room that should have a different attitude about where we're at. I'm certain that there's some out there. And God bless you all. Thank you for checking in. Hopefully you haven't shut this off. Um, that, um, yeah. Let's let patriotism be the controlling factor in our hearts and our minds. American, Americana, Americans... Okay, man, that, that national anthem jerked me up out of my seat. I stood there with tears rolling down my face. I, it's amazing, you know. It's been I got out of the military in 1985. I can't even. It's been so long. I can't even remember how many years ago that's been. And when you're in the military, you stand at attention with your finger, your hands are like this, and your thumbs are pointed down the seams of your britches. And I, to this day, when I do that. That thumb goes right there where it's supposed to be, and my hand, I mean, it just happened because something rises up in me when I think about our country, good or bad, good or bad, good or bad. So please don't, don't pull away in your cave of um, cave of, I'm trying to think of one of the slogans that the right wing is used that has been a negative thing. Don't get in your cave of being a right-winger to the degree that you forget about mankind. You forget about your fellow man. You forget about your neighbor. You all have a new neighbor, by the way. His name is President Joe Biden. <gasps> Ooh. Well, you thought he was your enemy. Oh, well, you're supposed to love your enemies too, so. <laughs> right on? All right, I'll get to the seven churches. And um, I know everybody in this room is, is wholly patriotic Americans, and it's just all up for all the y'all online. And, or maybe I can say I know that everybody online is just completely patriotic Americans, and this was just for all of these heathens here in church tonight. No, I'm, I'm your pastor, and it's important that I share with you what I believe the Lord's told me to share with you. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Father, in the name of Jesus, I lift up our new president to you, and I pray that you will help him, that you will keep him safe, and that you will keep his family safe, and that I'm not, no, none of us can judge a person's salvation or a person, person's relationship with you. But Lord, I still believe in your word that is forever settled in heaven, and you said that you could direct the heart of the king just like a river of water that you direct. And I pray, Lord God, that President Biden will be 
will hear your voice and will be convicted by his relationship with you, whatever that is, to follow the leading of God. And we'll trust in you. We'll trust in you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Everybody said amen? amen. All right. I'll try not to say anything about it on Sunday, but it happened today. Sorry. All right. The seven churches of Asia. Okay. Come on. Move on. We're going to move on to the next topic. Everybody move on now. The seven churches of Asia. We're going to talk about Thyatira. The interesting thing is about Thyatira is we know less about Thyatira than any of the other cities. Because history, there's not a lot of things written about Thyatira. There's a short list that I might, every time that we've done this, I've kind of given you a snapshot of each of those cities. Um, and it is, there's just not a lot there, but I'm going to give you what is known. And then we'll kind of get into the words of God as it relates to it. Uh, it was a city of commerce, but specifically commerce as it related to woolen fabric. Uh, and it was also the industrial center for dyeing fabric. Many of you may remember Lydia uh, in the book of Acts. It should be up there. I'm going to read that. Acts chapter 16, verses th 13 through 15. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were thinking there was a place of prayer. We sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled, and a woman named Lydia was listening. And she was a seller of purple fabrics from the city of Thyatira and a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Now, when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So you have a reference to Thyatira and that of dyed fabric, and specifically Lydia. You may notice that she was apparently um, a business person. She was a seller of, of that fabric, and so she was apparently an entrepreneur. Another thing about Thyatira in that snapshot, it had no religious significance. Every one of the cities so far had some religious significance in that they were either involved in pagan worship, idol worship, Greek worship, or Caesar worship, and this one was not a center of either one of those things. Okay? Um, there was, a, interestingly, in, at, at Thyatira, Thyra, 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 I always keep wanting to add that extra R in there. It's not Thyra, it's Thyatira. Uh, there was, um, as, did I say no specific threat to Christians? Did I say that already? I can't remember. Okay. Interesting, though, it was the longest letter of all the seven letters written to the most unimportant city of all the cities. I mean, there's hardly anything known about this city. No religious center, no trade center other than dyed wool, and uh, no real threat to the Christians there, yet the longest, um, I don't want to say the most scathing letter, but certainly the longest letter to any one of them. So let's read that letter, shall we, in Revelation chapter 2, um, reading from the New American Standard Bible. I know that for a long time I used the New King James Version as my primary preaching Bible, I have since, uh, I got a new Bible last year, and New American Standard Bible, so you may have noticed that I do a lot of my preaching from the New American Standard Bible. If you don't have one, I'm, go get one. They're, it's a really great Bible. Um, so anyway, here we go. Message to Thyatira. 
Thyatira. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze. Boy, there's quite an intro, right? Wow. We'll talk about it in a minute. He says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. Nice little sentence of praise. Jesus always does. He does that, you know, that praise sandwich, right? Starts out by giving you a little word of praise and then, and then tells you what happens if you overcome. And so, uh, but apparently they had a lot of things going on good. I know your deeds. I know your love. I know your faith. I know your service. I know your perseverance. And I know that you're better at it today than you were when you started, right? Um, but again, keep in mind that introduction. Hello, y'all. It's JC, Jesus Christ is here, I'm the Son of God, just so happens I got eyes like a flaming fire and feet like shiny bronze. Interesting intro. Verse 20, here we go. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. Now that's a pretty powerful statement right there. It says, unless they repent of her deeds. In verse 23, and I will kill her children with pestilence. What? And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, verse 24, but I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as, I've also, as I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wow. Let's talk about that introduction for a minute. The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. The church folk at Thyatira are about to receive a strong rebuke which is why Jesus introduces himself as the Son of God. He's not introducing himself as the Son of God just like he has many other times throughout the Bible, and many times he even referred to himself as the Son of Man. But he's saying, it's me. This is the Son of God. This is the, this is the first one of the letters that, that went directly to Jesus versus sharing some of the attributes of Jesus. This one is saying what it says, Jesus to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write the Son of God. In other words, Jesus has got his own hand on the pen, so to speak. The Son of God. It's me, the Son of God, addressing you. That's a wake-up call. 
The term son of God is not an attribute. It's a title. Okay? And it's a title that carries with it a lot of stuff. Okay? The next two statements in the introduction are more attributes, but they have great meaning when it talks about eyes like a flame of fire and feet like polished bronze. The description is actually taken from Daniel chapter 10. Why don't you turn your Bibles with me over to Daniel chapter 10, and let's just really take a quick look at that initial reference to a description of God, which is exactly the same description of Christ because Christ and God are one and the same. I'm going to read verses 4 through 6 in Daniel chapter 10. When you get there and you arrive at your destination, just say, I love the word. All right, good. In the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Euphas. His body also was like burl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. That's a description of God, a description of Christ. And we see it uh, repeated again in this particular um, text. Uh, there's a priestly, pair, priestly prayer uh, that I read in relationship to all this that I think could be a great prayer for many of us is that we say, my Lord, here I am. When God shows up and he says, hey, it's God, and he gives a description of himself that's not the most positive description, the best thing you can go is, yes, sir, I'm here. Speak to me, right? So they got a strong Rebuke. So let's talk about the eyes of flaming torches or the eyes of flaming fire. Um, it has two theological meanings. Um, number one, it has a reference to the, what is known as the, we don't like this phrase, especially in the new modern church, the blazing anger of God about sin. Anybody who doesn't think God gets angry about sin Look at the last two times he destroyed the earth because of it. <laughs> okay, he was so angry about sin, he was ready to destroy all of mankind because of it. And in one case, he did destroy all of them but one family. Okay, so the second thing, though, that I think really attributes this, maybe even a little bit more, is what's known theologically as the penetrating gaze of God that burns away any mask that we, that we have. In other words, nothing hidden. It's almost like, I, I kept thinking of Peter. You know, when Peter denied Christ and he looked and Jesus was looking at him, that had to be one piercing look. We know it was probably a look that was also bathed in love and compassion, but it pierced the soul of Peter. So much so that that's when he began to repent. And he stood in a corner when Jesus showed up in the room after he had risen. And, and then Jesus finally showed up to meet him at the lakeside, you know, to kind of say, listen, Peter, it's going to be all right. That, that gaze pierced his soul, flaming torch, because it revealed what was really in there. So that's where, you know, Christ is saying, uh, dear Thyatira, Okay, I'm not going to use the word dear. Hey, Thyatira, it's Jesus. 
And you, know, you better remember that I got a look and a gaze that will pierce directly to your heart. You can hide nothing from me. Wow. Um, you know, Scripture tells us in, uh, in Revelation 2.23, all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and the heart. He searches the very deep things. And I was hearing a little bit about that priestly prayer that I started off with. It says, here I am. Here's the rest of that priestly prayer. Here I am, Lord. I invite you to come and lay your eyes on my soul. Ooh. Think about that for a minute. Here I am, Lord. You know more about me than I do. I can't hide nothing. I've tried every Sunday at church, but you pierce, it, pierce me with those flaming torches you got, and you see. But what if we laid ourselves before him and said, Lord, with your eyes, let your eyes look upon my soul and show me what's not pleasing to you, right? That's a place of humility. Now, some may shy away from the penetrating gaze, that, that fiery eye of the Lord. Why? Well, hello. Just don't answer this question. Think about the question. Answer it within your own heart. You know, if all your secrets became known, if every skeleton in your closet were revealed, if every dark corner of your mind and heart were exposed, I'd say it is possible at least that you might be a little terrified and mostly mortified. Yet that's what Christ sees. Christ can see not just to the bone and the marrow, but to the very intent of the heart and the spirit and the mind. That's that penetrating gaze. And again, I think of Peter. He loved, he loved the Lord. He made a horrible blunder when he, get, when he became weak and scared and betrayed Christ. But there's a, there's a passage of Scripture which talks about their eyes meeting and we all know, and I'm certain that the, the eyes of Christ, even in that moment, were, I love you, Peter. But what Peter received was a penetrating look that went straight to his heart. Wow. So let's paraphrase that again, shall we? The whole thing. Dear Thyatira, this is Christ himself writing to you, and I can see right through you. It's not the best greeting, right? Not the best way to have the Lord show up and go, hey, Rick! It's Jesus, and I can see what's really in there. I know it's an enthusiastic message. You all want me to go back to politics for a minute or two? Okay, I didn't think so. Right? No, <laughs> I mean, he's saying, he's saying, I am serious about, by him saying, this is the Son of God, I'm serious about this, and you can't get away with anything. Then it goes on to say, he's got feet like brass. Feet like brass. That's also a Daniel 10 reference. But in Daniel 10, it talks about he has arms and feet like the gleam of polished brass. There are many things in the Bible that have other theological meanings. They may be type and shadow. They may be inferring something. So the theology behind feet or arms of brass is that of strength, theologically, and that of judgment, you do a study on brass as it relates to what, what's called, uh, 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 oh, I can't think, amphiphomorphism, ampr- whatever. It's a long word that gives human characteristics physically anthropomorphism, anthropomorphism, I said it that time, uh, to, to 
We know that God is a spirit, right? So, uh, you know, when it talks about his hand, it's an anthropomorphism. Anthropof- it's that thing. <laughs> I couldn't even say Thyatira tonight for crying out loud. And so we have that happening here again. So you get this idea of the feet. Okay, we know his feet aren't actually brass. So it means that it's talking about strength and it's talking about judgment. I would suggest that in this particular case, it's leaning more toward the judgment side. Hey, Thyatira, it's Jesus. I can see right through you, and I'm going to judge it. See, that's what the analogy behind those words mean. Uh, it's, you know, we put it in our, it's not, there, it's, it's, it's saying right now, I love you, but this is not going to be a soothing letter. It's going to get uncomfortable. It's about to get real up in here, Jesus is saying. And then he gets down and he goes, what? He says in Revelation 2.19, I know your deeds, I know your faith, your love and your faith and your service and your perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. How many would think that maybe on the surface this looks like a pretty good church? Right? On the outside, if a person would come into this church for the very first time, they'd go, this is home. This is awesome. They got great deeds and they, they know how to love and they're strong in their faith and they do great, not services, but they give great service to people. And even Christ went on to give them the, 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 the praise. And guess what, y'all? Y'all are better at it now than you were when you first started as a church. That's progress. So this was also a church that had a lot of progress. Uh, right on? And so they, they had plenty of good works. The, the church knew how to love others. The church had faith. It was a church that knew how to serve others. It was a church that persevered through hardship. It was a church that was progressing, and it would look like the modern-day user-friendly church. Very inviting. Boy, from the surface, this looks awesome. This is where I want to go. But we got to remember something. Remember how I told you all the churches had a label that was given to them? Do you remember what this church's label was? The corrupt church. Looks good on the outside, but something's really wrong on the inside. That goes back to help you understand why Jesus says, I'm the one with the eyes like a flaming torch. I can pierce right through to see what's hidden on the inside. And also why he said, I'm the one like, that has brass feet because I'm going to judge it. I have the strength and I will judge it. Now let's go to Revelation chapter 2. We're still there. Verses 20 through uh, 20. Three. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality." Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one according to your deeds. Man, this letter went south real quick. It went south 
real quick. Jesus starts his correction, because that's what's happening now. They are being severely, they were being set up for a severe correction with the introduction, right? And, and he did praise them for the good that they were doing, but he's going, I got something pretty serious against you, and you need to know because of the inter- introduction and the fact that they had a nice, lo- a good list of positive things about them on the surface, something was uh, seriously corrupt and amiss at its core, at its heart, which is true of so many churches. So he starts his correction by giving a com- condemnation of a certain woman. Apparently, it's possible her name was Jezebel. She's called Jezebel here. We'll get into it a little bit more. He talks about her ways, her teachings, and those that followed her. Okay? Um, it was, this church was overflowing with energy. This church was overflowing with excitement and generosity and perseverance. But for all that, something was seriously missing at its heart. I know there, there may be some of you here tonight, but I've talked with many people who have been at what I would call the user-friendly church that just, boy, the packaging was amazing. And everything from the outside just looked, oh, man, this is a great place to be. And then they found out that it was void of the power of God. There was nothing really strong there in that heart. And they end up looking, I say this with humility, hopefully for churches like ours, let me read this, a great segue for a statement by a guy by the name of William Barclay. No, he's not related in any way, shape, or manner to Pastor Barclay. William Barclay was a Scottish author and minister of the Church of Scotland in the 50s, okay? Here's what he said, in the 50s. A church which is crowded with people and which is a hive of energy is not necessarily a real church. It is possible for a church to be crowded because its people come to be entertained instead of instructed and to be soothed instead of confronted with the fact of sin and the offer of salvation. It may be a highly successful Christian club rather than a real Christian congregation. That's from the 50s, okay? And good grief, y'all. We could look at that today and go, and, and it's easy to get into that trap of entertainment, the lights, smoke, uh, all that stuff. We even went south a little bit on, on that here at this church even after I arrived. But we found our balance, brought her back to the heart of what it's all about. May it never be said of Resurrection Life Church. Well, may it be said of Resurrection Life Church, all the other stuff that was good, but may it never be said of Resurrection Life Church, you got all this good stuff, but at your heart, you're filthy. You're empty. You're void of anything good. Mm, 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 mm. So the church at Thyatira surely appeared to be awfully good on the surface, but at its core of of which the Son of God with the eyes of flaming fire could see through, and of which the Son of God with the feet like polished brass or bronze was going to judge, that church was corrupt for one reason. They tolerated the woman, Jezebel, and her teachings. Nowadays, we might call it the spirit of Jezebel. It's not clear anywhere in history whether or not this woman whose name was Jezebel 
was actually named Jezebel or whether it was just a description of what her character and what her heart was like, okay? Uh, either way, it's clear that she had a huge influence on this church. Um, I would think, in fact, a lot of history shows that it's very possible that many women in Thyatira had a huge impact upon the churches and not always in a positive fashion. Sorry about that, ladies. That's just a horse historical fact about that place. Think back. I'm not saying there was anything wrong with Lydia. Remember, it was Lydia, a woman from that church, who actually, in some ways, cornered the apostles to come stay at her place. Put them together. No, Lydia was not Jezebel. She was not that woman, okay? She ended up being a great saint of God. But in my point being, either way, it's clear that this woman had a huge influence. And she taught. And more than likely taught in the church. Because people called what? Bond servants? Yeah, my bond, led my bond servants astray. These are dedicated, faithful, believing Christians. This woman was able to lead astray with her teachings. In other words, she had a voice of influence within the congregation. There are many churches like that today. Many churches that are like that today. You'll find um, the storyline, some of the storyline of uh, Jezebel and Ahab. Ahab was a very, that was her husband. Uh, he was a very weak-kneed leader, and she was in charge. She wore the pants in the family. Big time. It's in 1 Kings. You can look there. But I'd like to read just a couple of, of excerpts from a couple of little commentaries. It's not very long at all. Uh, about um, Jezebel. Ready? Everybody all right? All right. This is from Albert Barnes' commentary. Jezebel was the wife of Ahab, a woman of vast influence over her husband, an influence which was formally exerted, excuse me, an influence which was uniformly exerted for evil. She was the daughter of Ethbaal, king of Tyre and Sidon, and she lived about 918 years before Christ. She was an idolater and induced her weak husband not only to, to connive at her introducing the worship of her native isles, but to become an idolater himself and to use all the means of his power to establish the worship of idols instead of the worship of the one true God. Now remember, it's, it's irrelevant as to whether this woman in Thyatira was actually named Jezebel, but what is really irrelevant is that she's compared to the Jezebel. And now you're getting a picture of the Jezebel. She was highly gifted, persuasive, and artful, was resolute in accomplishing her will and her purposes, ambitious of extending and perpetuating her power, and unscrupulous in the means with which she executed that design. The kind of character, therefore, which would be designated by the term as used here in our scripture today would be that of a woman who was artful and persuasive in her manner, who was capable of exerting a wide influence over others, who had talents of a high order, who was a thorough advocate of error, who was unscrupulous in the means which she employed for accomplishing her ends, and the tendency of those of the tendency of whose influence was to lead people into the abominable practices of idolatry. The opinions which she held and the practice into which she led others appear to be the same as those that are referred to in Revelation 2.6, that was the Nicolaitans, and also in Revelation 2.14-15, through 15, which was about the teachings of Baal. Remember, we talked about that. 
This is from Adam Clark, commentary. You get a drink. Some really interesting stuff. It's important for us to know this because whether it was actually a woman named Jezebel or whether it was an inference to the woman named Jezebel saying this is the character, this is what this person is like, there's definitely a spirit of Jezebel. Okay? I've had to deal with it a few times in my ministry. We'll talk about that in a minute. Oh, I'm almost out of time. Hmm. Imagine that. Here's Adam Clark commentary. There is an allusion here to the history of Ahab and Jezebel as given in 2 Kings 9 through chapter 10. And although we do not know who this Jezebel was, yet from the allusion we may take it for granted she was a woman of power and influence in Thyatira who corrupted the true religion, harassed the followers of God in that city as Jezebel did in Israel. Instead of that woman Jezebel, many excellent manuscripts. Now this was really interesting. Many excellent manuscripts, manuscripts speaking about um, um, the original manuscripts of the Word of God that were found in tablet form, or in some cases, scroll form. Um, this one really hit me, and I, again, instead of that woman, you know, it said that woman, Jezebel, right? That's what the Scripture said. Many excellent manuscripts, and almost all the ancient versions read, thy wife, Jezebel, which intimates, indeed asserts, that this bad woman was the wife of the bishop of the church. And his criminality in suffering her was even therefore greater. It would be like me being the pastor and Diane having the Jezebel spirit, and, she, and I just run with my tail between my legs and, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, yes, yes, dear, whatever you say. Okay, you want us the church to do that? Okay, we'll do that. You think we ought to quit doing that? Okay, okay, we'll quit doing that. That's, that's even a greater sin than just a Jezebel who's sitting in the congregation. Okay, are you, are you following me? She called herself a prophetess. She was set up for, as a teacher, taught the Christians that fornication and eating things offered to idols were just matters of indifference, and thus they were seduced from the truth. But it is probable by fornication here is meant idolatry only, which is often the meaning of scriptures. It's too gross a thought to suppose that the wife of the pastor of the church was actually teaching fornication literally. That just would boggle the mind. The messenger or bishop of this church, probably her husband, suffered this. He had power to have cast her and her party out of the church, or as his wife, to have restrained her, but he did not do it, and thus she had every opportunity of seducing the faithful. This is what Christ had against the messenger of this church. Man, that brings some real life to the storyline, doesn't it? Wow. Uh, I found this statement on BibleKnowledge.com. It's a little excerpt from a guy by the name of Michael Brady, Bradley. It's really a great statement that kind of finalized just the reading from this handout that I'm doing, that I'm reading. Here it is. Many believe that this type of spirit may be Satan's smartest and most cunning and evil spirit he has. And he thus dispatches this kind of spirit on specific targets so he can get the most bang for his buck. Simply put, 
But Jezebel's spirit is one of Satan's higher-ranking, more intelligent demons, if not the smartest kind of demon he has in his kingdom. And with it being much more intelligent than many of the other lower-ranking demons will be, this makes this type of spirit much more evil, cunning, and harder to deal with once it moves in and attaches itself to a person. Those who've been around long enough are nodding their heads already. And with this kind of evil spirit being much more cunning, intelligent, and evil than some of the other lower-ranking demons will be, it will cause a lot more trouble and destruction if it is not quickly dealt with and cast out. Wow. I'll get to some stories. Apparently, I'll have to wait till next week to get some stories about my dealings with the spirit of Jezebel. It's 8 o'clock, and I ain't halfway through. So, we'll save it till next week. How's that sound? Thank you for your enthusiasm. All right, let's find. I, I don't write closings halfway through my teachings. I usually write closings at the end of my teachings. So, when I get halfway through a teaching and my clock says it's time to quit, I go, well, you didn't give me a closing right here. <laughs> Spirit of Jezebel is a deadly, destructive spirit. And I would agree with what this guy said, Michael Bradley. It is absolutely a destroy a church if it's not dealt with. And it needs to be dealt with sternly and quickly. And um, next week I will, let's see where we're at here. Yeah, let's do this. I'll just do this one passage, just one little paragraph, and it's a great, I think it's a great segue to end. And then actually literally in my notes I have um, share personal stories. And so that'll be next next Wednesday night, all right? Uh, Revelation 2.21, it says there, um, where's it at? 2.21, Revelation 2. Oh, yeah. I gave her time to repent. This is the great positive into this message. I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality. This is a testament to the grace and the mercy of God. He didn't just judge her. He gave her time to repent. He always gives us time to repent. And throughout all of Old Testament history, you will see that every time God brought judgment, like what's at the brass feet, down on a nation, he identified for them what their sin was, and he gave them an opportunity to repent of that sin, and if they did, the judgment would be diverted and not come against them. We serve a God of great grace and mercy that goes beyond our... We are not consumed by the mercies of God, for they are new every single morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, as it says in Lamentations. So no matter what may be going on in your life, as we talked about the deep, dark recesses and the secrets and the skeletons, et cetera, et cetera, God will always, I believe this with all of my heart, God will always give you opportunities to repent before he exercises judgment on a person's life. It's up to us, though, to answer yes to that. Instead of what happened with this poor individual, and she does not want to repent. May we all be ready to quickly say, Lord, may your piercing eyes look into my soul. And if there's something that I need to change, then Lord, 
I need to repent. And we should be thankful that he has that kind of mercy and that kind of grace. Amen? Give the Lord a praise just because you can. Hallelujah. Well, I want to send you out blessed. I want to encourage you again to consider your part in patriotism, to consider your part as an American, to consider your part as a Christian American patriot. It's not about who's in the office, but it's about who's on the throne. Amen? Amen? And so we'll agree and we'll submit to God Almighty and we will respect the office of our new president of the United States. That is my position, folks. All right, stand up and let me send you out blessed. I pray that the Lord be with you, that he go with you wherever you go and protect you, provide for you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you and give you strength. Let his countenance go before you, shine a light to your path and a light for your feet. We serve the great, mighty God, Jehovah, El Shaddai, the God that is more than enough. And we will praise his name all the days of our life. Amen? Amen. God bless you. We'll see you for the rest of the story next Wednesday night.